Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. What is Good Friday? Good Friday is the day on which Jesus was crucified by the Roman authorities, and crucifixion means that he died on a cross. And all of this means that I am beginning today's episode with a cautionary notice. I don't know what emotional burdens you bear at the time of listening to this, but I will, in talking about Good Friday, talk specifically about execution, suffering, and death. So please be aware and make the listening decision that's right for you at this time. Also, much of my information for this episode came from an article about the crucifixion of Jesus published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in March of 1986. It is a very thorough, detailed, and well-done article. And see the show notes for more information or if you'd like to read it for yourself. Good Friday is the day on which we remember Jesus' torture and crucifixion. A day that many of us have all but forgotten on the Christian calendar. Oh, we haven't really forgotten it. We know it's there. But you see, who wants to take time and emotional energy to remember his death when we already know the good news of Easter? It is so tempting to move straight from the victorious entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, straight into the good news of Christ risen on Easter. And then we don't have to deal with any of the darker parts of Jesus' story. Why not just focus on the good stuff? But if we don't take time for Good Friday, then we miss a great deal of the Easter message. You see, our faith is not just about the resurrection of Christ. It's about the resurrection of the crucified Christ. We dwell on the message of Good Friday each year, not because we enjoy pain or because it somehow is wonderful to be miserable. We do it because it tells us about the nature of God. It tells us about the enormous love that God has for us, a love that was so deep that God gave his only son to die for us, to die a death that's unlike anything we can really imagine. This was not a death of glory The execution that Jesus suffered was the most sadistic, shame-filled, and excruciating thing that the Romans could devise. Every Roman crucifixion began with flogging. And as our scholars have discovered, this was a common practice. The primary design of flogging was to weaken the prisoner. The condemned was stripped naked and tied with his hands, one to each side of a huge post, And the flogging was normally done by two soldiers, one standing on either side of the victim, taking turns as they whipped the prisoner. They used the whips that were made of several strips of leather each. This alone would have been horrible, but the Romans, of course, took it further. Each piece of leather had a combination of metal balls and bone chips embedded along its length. The metal balls pummeled the back, leaving terrible contusions, while the bone chips quickly stripped away flesh and then began to work upon the muscle underneath. This left strips of bloody, quivering flesh hanging from the back of the victims. Many people never survived the flogging to make it to the cross. 
Jesus was not so lucky. Our image of Jesus has always been that he had to carry his entire cross to his execution. The truth is that no one had to carry their whole cross to their execution. The whole cross weighed over 300 pounds. Each condemned person had to carry the crossbar to which they were normally tied before they began their trek to the place of execution. This piece of rough wood weighed between about 75 and 125 pounds, and the person was required to make the trip totally naked, with a guard walking in front, carrying a sign, telling the person's name and their crime. All this was done to weaken the prisoner further and to allow for them to experience even more shame and degradation. It's impossible for us to fully imagine the pain Jesus underwent as that hundred-pound beam he was carrying rubbed with each step against the flesh on his shoulders that had been torn open by the scourging. Christ was so broken by the scourging and the full night of interrogation before that he was unable to carry his own beam the entire way. The Roman soldiers enlisted the aid of a bystander to carry Christ's crossbeam of his cross the rest of the way. And when Jesus reached the place called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull, where the executions took place, he was thrown onto the beam to be reattached. Imagine his pain at this moment as the wounds on his back that maybe had started to slightly scab over were reopened by the wood scraping against them and the dirt from the ground entering his wounds. Christ was almost certainly nailed to the cross since we know the Romans preferred nailing prisoners rather than tying. We also know this because the Bible tells us of Jesus having nail wounds in his hands. The nail was actually more of a spike and measured about seven inches long and was one inch thick. Imagine a really sharp railroad spike if you've ever seen one. It was driven through the joint where the hand met the wrist and probably not through his hand because the flesh of the hand could not have supported the full weight of his body and probably would have torn through. The Bible tells us he had nail wounds in his hands, but at the time of Jesus, the wrist was considered a part of the hand, so there's really no contradiction to the text here. His feet were also nailed, one on top of each other. The feet were probably tucked up underneath him, and contrary to most of our popular images of the crucifixion, there was a small seat on the cross upon which the dying person sat. The purpose of this seat was to take just enough weight off of the condemned to prolong their suffering and death. Crucifixion is a death not from bleeding or torture, but instead from asphyxiation. As Jesus hung on the cross with his full weight on his arms, he was unable to take a breath. And in order to take a breath, he had to pull himself off his seat and place his weight on his arms and his feet. For each breath he took, he had to lift himself up. But to lift himself up, he had to place his weight upon the nails in his hands and his feet. And this sent waves of searing pain throughout his body. These waves of pain weakened Jesus with each breath he took. Eventually, he, as all crucified people, lost the strength to pull himself up for another breath, and he died. 
The cross was a sign for all who lived under Roman rule. It was a sign of total domination, of humiliation and shame. And it was a sign of a long and arduous death. The cross was not for everyone. Romans reserved this particular form of execution for slaves, foreigners, and particular acts of sedition. Many people on the cross took as many as three days to die. What we've done to the cross is a shame. We've stripped away much of what it stood for originally, and we've replaced it with something that's almost unrelated. The cross of Jesus was actually fairly small. He hung not high up in the air in some sort of majestic form as we like to imagine, but just barely above the ground with his knees bent. He was likely near eye level with the people surrounding him, so he had to suffer taunts and jeers from the crowd face to face. Almost all of this information I've shared with you is from the medical journal article I mentioned earlier. I use it not to be morbid, nor to wallow in the grotesque, but because this is the only day of the church year set aside for us to be focused on this aspect of God's gift to us. Jesus' crucifixion was ugly, grotesque, and terrifying, and yet it was boundless in its selflessness. And it is that selflessness we witness and the loving message contained within that causes this horrible day to be known as Good Friday. When we make ornate crosses out of brass, we lose something. When we forge them out of silver and decorate them with diamonds, we lose something. When we turn the cross into something majestic and beautiful, we strip away its true meaning. We lose sight of the fact that God loved us so much that he was willing to take flesh and suffer at the hands of humanity the most grueling death anyone can imagine. This is God who went to the cross without glory, died a painful and humiliating death for us that our sins might be forgiven, that we might know of God's eternal love. I have a friend who was a high school classmate and is a physician in Knoxville. He told me one of the disturbing things to many of the medical staff treating coronavirus patients in the ICUs of America is that they have to severely restrict or even forbid any visitors to come into the ICU. In Knoxville, they allow very limited visitation and only one person. New York allows no one at all. The medical staff are troubled by the reality of the patient who is suffering, struggling for each breath, as coronavirus patients are apt to do. These people may well die, and they go through all of this surrounded by strangers and unfortunately often feeling alone. It would not be surprising for anyone in the midst of this crisis and their pain to wonder, does the Lord God Almighty, who seemingly sits far away in the throne room of heaven, know anything about human suffering, know anything about our suffering, know anything about feeling life slipping away while gasping for breath in an ICU? 
the story of God in the form of Jesus on Good Friday means we know God understands. God has indeed experienced suffering and has compassion and love for us in our struggles. We are not alone. The words of the 23rd Psalm are particularly powerful to me right now in the midst of all of this. The author speaks to God about what it's like to be in the midst of the times of trial. I will finish this with the words of the 23rd Psalm, a portion of it. The words I read are actually a paraphrase, my paraphrase of the psalmist's words, in order to say clearly what the psalm is meaning to me now. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the path forward is not clear. I strive to fear no evil, for your story, O God, is a reminder you are with me. Wherever I go, your presence ever surrounds me, and I am reminded I am never alone. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. If you'd like to offer a question for me to answer, you can get in touch with me through email or Twitter. Just remember SkyPilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. That's skypilot at gmail.com, and Twitter is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>